0: Hello, and welcome to Connect Point's podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Everybody said praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being Thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. Truly, truly. We are honored by we are honored by each other's faithfulness. Amen. You give honor to each other. You give honor to the body of Christ by showing up and being faithful to the house of God. And so I I and I honor you for doing that. And above all, collectively, Most importantly, we honor God. Amen? When we prioritize, amen, his house, amen, and his his ideas and his word, amen, we honor him. I want to talk to us tonight, and uh, you can have your Bibles near. We do have a lot of scriptures that we're going to be using as we go through this. I want to talk about the declarations from the cross, Here in this uh, holy week and leading up to Easter, I want to talk with us about the things that Jesus said uh, in his final moments while he hung on the cross. Because, as you know, absolutely nothing that Jesus did was haphazard. None of it was just unnecessary. Every Word that came out of his mouth had purpose and reason, and not just for the moment or for the present hearers, but for us today, because he put it in his word that was forever settled in heaven. If it wasn't necessary, it wouldn't be in there. Amen. And I believe that not only does it tell us a lot about our Savior but I believe also it illustrates for us some things that he wants us to have in our own lives, amen. As he's upon the cross, we find him making several declarations, having studied the agony of the cross a couple Sunday mornings ago, knowing what he went through on the cross before he was on the cross, while he was on the cross, any communication, Outside of just roars of pain, any communication at all is in itself somewhat miraculous. To be in that type of agony, despair, and pain, and be able to communicate anything at all, I think is in itself powerful. But indeed, the Lord was still very much ministering in his misery. Everybody say, ministering in his misery. misery. Consider how we would behave in similar situations. Consider for yourself a second how you might behave in a similar situation. We do have Matthew 16 and 24, and Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We do have Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, right? We do have a connection to the cross. Thanks be to God, we don't have to actually go physically on a cross. But I don't necessarily know that because we don't have to physically go on a cross that we should just all, uh, just assume that that means we're never going to have to go through pain or misery or despair or agony even on behalf of the gospel, I'm not just talking about life, I'm talking about even on behalf of the gospel, I think it would be foolish of us to think that never will we go through such a thing. And so if it be that we must suffer at some point for the gospel, we have example given to us here on the cross of Calvary. The first statement that is made by Jesus that at least is recorded for us to understand once he is upon the cross is a Declaration of intercession. Intercession is to involve yourself on behalf of another person. And intercession, uh, uh, spiritually uh, uh, connected, prayerfully, is to involve yourselves in that way on behalf of another person. And here it is used in that context in Luke, the 23rd chapter, when we find, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription was also written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. This, my friends, was not a passive crowd. They were not quiet observers of what was taking place. They were actively chiding Christ while he was being crucified. They are actively mocking him, screaming out things to him, laughing some of them while he is being crucified. The agony of the cross was somehow not enough for some of them. The vividly grotesque scene before them did not take their hate away. Some of them were so hate-filled and bitter that even while he is being crucified, they still have to mock and ridicule him. And in that environment, in that level of pain, Jesus intercedes on their behalf. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. While they roll dice to see who gets to keep a souvenir piece of clothing that he owns. While others declare, let him save himself if he be the Christ. If he can do it, prove it. While soldiers mock him and a sarcastic sign is affixed about his head. Jesus, in his flesh, prays. That's the part, that's the part. He's praying, which means we're looking at the humanity of Christ. The deity of Christ is not speaking here. The humanity of Christ is speaking. And in his humanity, he is praying a prayer, and he intercedes for their forgiveness. In his flesh, he does that, right? See, sometimes we make we make, uh, we make uh, statements like, well, uh, yeah, uh, this is what I want to do in my flesh, but good thing I was you know, operating in the Spirit that day. If I didn't have the Holy Ghost, I would have said a whole lot more than I did. If I didn't have the Holy Ghost, I would have really showed them what, the what for. But Jesus is in his humanity because he's praying. Gods don't pray. God doesn't pray. Right, But in his humanity, who is suffering, in his humanity, who is dealing with this environment, in whose humanity he was being mocked, he prays, Father, forgive them. He intercedes. The question becomes, what are we capable of in times of trial? How much do we consider the eternal soul of our enemy? Oh, yeah. Hurry up, preacher. Just get to the second point. Get to the second point. (laughs) When we're going through it, when somebody is attacking us, how often do we consider, Lord, please, help them. Don't let them die in their sins. Don't let them, don't let this overcome them. Don't let this take them down. We, can we intercede on someone's behalf while they are actively causing us pain? Jesus did say in Matthew 6, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He did say in Matthew 18, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall My brother sinned against me, and I forgive him till seven times. And Jesus saith to them, I say, not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. We have Ephesians chapter 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We have Colossians 3. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We've got plenty of scriptures that tell us to forgive, really, no matter the circumstances. We've got plenty of scriptures that speak to us about having a right spirit even when we're under attack. But the question is, in our flesh, what do we do? Do we understand what one hate-filled sentence from the cross would have done? Do you understand what would have happened if Jesus, in his pain and agony, would have lashed out? We don't even think of it being possible. We don't even think of it being possible. The Truth is, as a matter, we don't. We don't. We do not believe that it was impossible for Jesus to sin. He didn't sin. Do you want to know what would happen if he would have just cursed out the crowd that day? What does it do to the cross? What does it do to the story? Just one word from sinful anger towards those who were wounding him. And he did not do it. I believe as an example to us, because the greatest response to attack is love. Make your enemy hear kindness in response to their hate. Make them see you love them while they're actively hating you. No matter how they take it. Here's the truth. Jesus wasn't praying to them It was the Spirit of God that his flesh cried out to. He wasn't saying, Father, forgive He wasn't speaking to them. He was speaking about them to God. So if you can't say it to them, say it to God on their behalf. Amen. Amen, if you can't say it to the person who is actively attacking you, if you can't say it to the person who is uh, verbally tearing you down or social media attacking you or openly uh, uh, just working for your demise, if you can't say something loving to them, then say something loving to God about them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The second declaration is one of mercy. Luke 23, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. One of the people hanging on the cross next to him railed on him. Sounds like he's taking his cue from the crowd. If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. He was adding in the and us part. The crowd didn't have to say that. The crowd said, if you be the Christ, save yourself. But he's also up on a cross. So he said, save yourself and us too, if you don't mind. If you're going to do it, do it. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now first, we have to just remember that this is pre-death. He hasn't died yet. So it's pre-death, burial, and resurrection. It's pre-gospel. It's pre-day of Pentecost. It's pre-Holy Ghost outpouring. We all know the timeline. None of that stuff has happened yet this man has no other way to be saved at this moment the veil hasn't even rent they haven't even started the process of disconnecting themselves from the the law that is actively being fulfilled the old testament law it's right at that moment starting to be fulfilled he cannot come down from the cross and offer sacrifice at the temple The man that's there asking to be saved cannot come down and go do what is needed to fulfill the law. His greatest miracle is that he is chosen to be crucified right next to Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Talk about finding a silver lining out of a bad day. The only spotless lamb that he could actually interact with at that moment was hanging next to him. Oh, hallelujah. And he expresses what I consider to be incredible faith in his moment of torment and pain. He's also being crucified. He expresses, first of all, his sin. He says, we receive the due reward of our deeds. He's expressing that he belongs there. He has committed sin. He's broken the law. He believes that he belongs there. He expresses that Jesus is innocent or that Jesus is spotless. No matter what the accusations are, he's expressing this man is spotless. He calls him Jesus, but not just Jesus. He says, Jesus, Lord. Lord means supreme in authority. It means master. It means God. In that context, he is saying his name, which is Jesus, but he's also calling him God. Well, he hangs on the cross next to him and he expresses faith in a kingdom of God that exists beyond the grave. So some people sometimes think this criminal got some sort of major pass. Like, well, I don't understand why he got the lucky straw. That don't seem right. He didn't deserve it. Some people think that. The reality is that he expressed sorrow for sins and faith in God, and the only salvation that was available to him at that moment was hanging right next to him. Still, Jesus is in the process of dying. But in the process of dying, he can still be merciful. The man could not indeed fulfill the law correctly and completely as it was needed to be fulfilled. He needed mercy. He needed mercy. He did everything really right that he could do. He was saying the right things. He had the right spirit about him. He was approaching the situation right, but he still needed, he still needed mercy. Mercy had to fill the gap. Oh, hallelujah. Between what he could do and what the law required of him to do, mercy had to fill the gap. Oh, how many are thankful the times mercy has filled the gap? He was with Christ in death. And Jesus says, that they're still going to be together after death. On the cross, this takes place. Try to remind yourself of that as we're going through these. This happened while, as I spoke a couple Sundays ago, this happened while they were having to push themselves up to exhale on the nails going through the feet and the wrists and to exhale And then they would inhale and then drop back down. Their shoulders are being dislocated. The wounds on their back, the the crown of thorns. This conversation happened. He had mercy. The third is affection. The third declaration is affection in John 19. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. There are always multiple views to every event. No matter what happens, any group of people that witness anything taking place are going to see it just a little bit differently. And when we're talking about Calvary, we cannot forget the view from the cross. From. We have a pretty good idea of what it felt like and sounded like amongst the crowd. And we have a pretty good idea of what it looked like visually to look upon the cross. But there was another view, and that was Jesus' view. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amongst all that he is seeing and hearing, amongst the people in front that are, 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 are berating him and yelling at him and mocking him, and the soldiers close to his feet who are throwing dice for his clothing and, 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 and all of that nonsense. He also can see the fourth and fifth row. He can see the people in the back who he can't hear over the crowd, but he can see the looks on their face and their mouth open. He can see the gestures that are taking place. He can see and hear all of it. But he also sees mama. Amongst all of that, he sees his mother, and beside his mother, he sees John, the disciple whom he loved. Now Mary is experiencing what Simeon prophesied she would one day experience when they brought that eight-year-old baby in to the temple, and they presented him. And Simeon blessed them in Luke 2. And said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon says that this this, this child is special. We know the story. We understand Thank you, God, for allowing me to see. You remember, he says, a salvation of Israel. But in the moment, while he's declaring all of that, Simeon pauses for a moment. It's like he gets a glimpse. It's like he gets something. And he looks at Mary, and he says, but, it's, but how he's going to do it is going to be like a sword piercing your soul. Amen. It's going to be like that. John shows no sinful pride here in saying of himself that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He is not declaring that Jesus only loved him. The cross is proof of that. He is, however, the only disciple that pushes near the cross. He is the only one to stand in assistance to Mary, Jesus' mother, and he is the only one who was there when Mary's own other sons are nowhere seemingly to be present. Jesus' view narrows considerably for a moment. From Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His view narrows considerably as he addresses the needs of people that he loved and who loved him. He doesn't forget his family in a time of despair. He doesn't take out his frustrations on them closest to him in relationship. I think we can learn something from this. In a time of darkness and hardship and pain and agony and despair, he doesn't neglect the people he loves and who love him. And in that same pain, he doesn't lash out on those closest to him, as humanity is so often to do, to take out our frustrations and our pain and our stuff on the people that are closest to us, mostly just because our flesh is ridiculously weak and we're looking for... The closest point of contact to direct our anger and our frustration. And unfortunately, the people we love sometimes catch the brunt of it. And Jesus on the cross is trying to teach us, don't do that. Jesus on the cross is trying to teach us, don't become selfish and self-centered when you're going through a difficult time but think about the ones you love and think about the ones who love you and make sure you take care of them. Amen. His heart physically is at its breaking point, yet somehow it is still full of love and affection. Amen. The fourth declaration is one of desertion. In Matthew 27, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakpatanai. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Once again, we find the humanity of Christ. He's praying He's crying out to God. It's his humanity that is speaking. Notice that even though his feelings are that he's been forsaken, yes, Jesus had feelings and emotions, right? And even though his feelings and his emotional response as, as, as humanity is that he is being forsaken, his faith is still strong enough to declare two powerful words, my God. In fact, he says it twice. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? His flesh still feels personally Connected to deity. What I mean by that is Calvary has not stripped him of his relationship, of his connection. He's still able to say, my God. Sometimes it's not those that hurt us that we hate. Sometimes it's not those close to us that we turn against. Sometimes we are tempted to turn our backs on our faith in God. Because bad things happen and ultimately, it's an interesting thing, the more you live for God and the more you realize how powerful the will of God is and the more you give yourself over to the will of God, it becomes harder and harder to blame other people for things. It also becomes harder and harder to praise other people for things because you ultimately get to the point where you realize God is always moving and working and doing things. But because of that, one thing that true faith filled Christians have to be a little bit aware of is that if you're beyond in your faith uh, just throwing at the towel at the drop of the hat, and if you're beyond in your faith uh, blaming other people for everything that goes wrong in your life, if you're beyond that, there's only one person left to blame, to get mad at, to yell. What's going on? You're in complete control. So why in the world is this happening? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's important that he begins with my God, my God. It's important that he doesn't just say, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, Jesus asks a question to which he gets no response. Hebrews 4 and 14, just to remind us, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. This may very well be the last temptation that Jesus faces but does not succumb to when he feels forsaken and he asks why and he doesn't get a response. Oh, hallelujah. (laughs) Anybody ever been there? (laughs) Sure you have. We've all been there. Anybody that's ever believed in God has been there. And the temptation is that when I feel like I need an answer and I say, why are you doing this? And he doesn't answer and he doesn't tell me why he's doing it. The temptation to my flesh uh, is to turn my back on God. My temptation is to throw my faith away. The temptation is to say, well, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. If he really loved me, he would answer me. If he really, if he was really in control, he would tell me his plans. We know if we, we look and study and all of that, we know all that makes no sense. But it seems to make sense to our flesh in the moment. And so we say things like that, and people have thrown their faith away because they said why, and God didn't answer. People have walked away from God because they said why, and he didn't answer. But Jesus teaches us something extremely valuable. It's not a problem to ask why. It's just you got to start out with my God. My God. This is my God. This is my, we have relationship. We have covenant. I'm connected to you. I believe in you. You have the authority. You have the power. You are God. And I am not. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it or what the timetable is. And I'm going to say why a whole bunch of times tonight. But I want something known to my flesh and any devil that may be listening. You're still my God. And you still have authority. And you still have power. And you can still do whatever you want to do. My God. My God it's very good to remind the devil once in a while that you know who God is and it's good to remind your flesh once in a while that you have a God and you are not it right it's a good thing and Jesus is teaching us this there's no problem with the why but if you do the why without the my God first you're probably going to run you might give up quick but if the "My God is settled, then you can ask a lot of whys and not get any answer at all, but everything still work out just fine. Amen? So we're seeing His humanity even clearer now. The fifth declaration is one of humanity, in John 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished and that the scripture might be fulfilled, saying, "He saith, "I thirst." That's a a human thing, right? I'm thirsty. We talked about that a couple Sundays ago. We talked about what was physically happening in his body that would make every one of us, if it happened to us, one of the things that we would face the most would be an extreme thirst. We discussed that a little bit. And we know the prophetic statements about that. He says, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it into his mouth. Even though this is a fleshly need being declared, it is also interesting to me. He says, I thirst. He is physically thirsty. But it's important to note that he says it after all things were now accomplished. Everything that needed to be done was done. In fact, even saying I thirst is fulfilling the prophetic scripture of Psalm 69, they gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. The prophetic, the, the, the prophetic word of the psalmist about what was going to happen to the Messiah on the cross, this is part of it. So even in his human thirst, the final piece of the puzzle, all things are now complete. We see that as They were beginning the crucifixion process before they actually even get him lifted up, then Matthew 27, and when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink it then. They tried to give it to him before they ever put him on the cross. When they got to Golgotha, which would have been the place where they would have laid him down, which would have been the place where they would have nailed the nails through his wrists and through his feet. This would have been that place. They tried to give it to him then, but he will not drink. But now towards the end, Jesus declares, I thirst, and they give him the vinegar, which says word vinegar, if you study it out, is, is basically their idea of a medical application to numb the pain. That's basically what it is. Now, you got to keep in mind what it says. There was set a vessel full of vinegar. They filled it with a sponge of vinegar. They put it upon hyssop, and they put it into his mouth. This was not unique to Jesus. This was something they did at crucifixions. This is humanity's idea of Mercy. It was something to help them numb the pain. It would dull their senses. But Jesus refuses it at the beginning so to be clear-headed so that he can fulfill everything necessary on the cross. He has to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That needs to take place. He needs to look at Mary, and he needs to look, amen, at John, and he needs to make sure that that is done. He needs to say all the things that he says. So he refuses something that's going to dull his senses and numb him and make him not be able to think clearly. Clearly. But now that everything they needed to happen has happened, this being near and ready, this, 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 this vinegar was there. It was always there. And now they bring it to his mouth. Now we understand at this point it makes little sense. Jesus, by the way, does not ask them for the vinegar. Jesus declares two words that are fulfilling an ancient prophecy so that you and I could look at an Old Testament verse and a New Testament verse and be wowed at the wonder of God. Two words on a cross so that you and I could know that the Old Testament matters and the New Testament matters, and they don't contradict each other, and they hold each other up, and that he was always going to die on the cross, and he was always a spotless lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Two more words to fulfill all of these things that have been fulfilled. He just simply fulfills the prophecy and says, I thirst. They're the ones that say, okay, well, then get get the vinegar, get the thing. Six is victory. Everybody say victory. John 19 and 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. It is finished. Notice, it is finished, not I am finished. Oh, there's a good lesson for us in this one, folks. His death was completing a task, his life was fulfilling a purpose. This is the appropriate view, I believe, of the life of every Christian. The life is but a moment, but a vapor, the Bible tells us. But we have a calling to fulfill, a purpose to fulfill. We have a reason we exist. Amen? Amen. And we should finish well. We should finish well and enjoy our eternal reward. He says, it is finished, I finished well. I did what I was supposed to do. I, I upheld my end of the bargain. I followed through. There were times my flesh didn't want to. There were times when it looked too hard. There were times when it was too painful. There were times when I didn't think I was gonna make it, but here it is, I, it, it is finished. You remember that time the, the disciples went to get food and Jesus meets a woman at the well and they come back John 4, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples, one another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to what? Finish his work. My meat is to do the will of him. The will of God, the will of God, the will of God, the will of God, the will of God. Every day, every day, in every possible way that I can, I need to do the will of God that day. But he doesn't just stop with the will of God. He says, I have to do the will, and I have to finish. Amen? I have to finish his work. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus was always aware of the work he was positioned and purposed for. He made sure to keep his focus on what he must finish. Hear, hear me tonight. He kept his focus on what he must finish. What he must finish. It wasn't up to him to do what other people could do. wasn't up to him to do everybody else's thing for them. But he had he had a work that he had to finish. After the disciples, after that moment when they are talking about the meat, he says, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Then he tells them and us in John 4 35, the very next verse, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. So he's talking about you have to do the will of God every day, and you must finish. And then he looks at them and he says, Don't be acting like there's not work to do right now. Don't be acting like there's not something that you should be doing today. Because if you'll lift up your eyes, you'll see that there's work and there's will of God in your life that needs to be done right now. When you wake up tomorrow, when I wake up tomorrow, there is a will of God for that day tomorrow, and there is work ready to be done. Ready to be done. There is no better way to leave this life than this declaration. It is finished. Amen. That would be awesome. (laughs) Amen. That would be an awesome way to go. Don't know if I'll get that chance or not, but just the final words out of your mouth, it is finished. And then the next thing you hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Number seventh and lastly is death. Luke 23, through 46. And it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth into the ninth hour and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. It's interesting that at the birth of Christ, there was supernatural light. You remember in Luke 2, the shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch. The angel of the Lord comes upon them, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. At Jesus' birth, there is miraculous light in the middle of the night, and at his death, there is supernatural darkness in the middle of the day. The fact that it was three hours tells us a lot of things. One, it could not have been just an eclipse. It's never, it doesn't take three hours for a, a no full eclipse lasts for three hours, it's constantly moving. You've seen it before. It was the wrong season, completely wrong season of the year for it to be just a really cloudy day. Wrong season, it's the dry season. It was dark, it was supernaturally dark, however. While there was supernatural light at his birth and there is supernatural darkness at his death, the light of the world has not been darkened just because the natural sun has gone dark. Instead, the Bible tells us that the veil of the temple is rent, exposing God's personal presence to the world. Oh, hallelujah. Exposing God's personal presence to the world. And the light that penetrates from the light of the world fulfilling his purpose immediately goes into effect. And while the sun is blotted out in Luke 23, the centurion standing near the cross glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. While it was still supernaturally dark, The light of the world and the veil being rent immediately went to work. It immediately went to work and started penetrating darkness. Oh, hallelujah. It started penetrating darkness. Let's stand together. Seven declarations from the cross. All of them important lessons for us to learn and to follow. We're going to take communion up tonight. and I'm going to have our... Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us please go online at connectpointupc.com and also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.